Well, would you take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to continue our study. We're getting close to the end uh, in this particular letter. But we're going to look at verses 12 to 15 this morning. Vital signs for a healthy church. I'd like to read it for us as we begin, verses 12 to 15. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle. Encourage the timid. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Let's pray. Father, your word is so very practical. It has a message that you want us to hear this morning, to apply in our life, to be a people who live differently in this world, who live and work together as your children, who honor you as our Father, and who are making a difference for Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the keys to the success of an organization is teamwork. Getting people to work together toward a common goal is important, whether you're talking about a business or you're talking about sports or you're talking about the church. Casey Stengel, who was a longtime baseball manager, once said that it is easy to get good players. Getting them to play together is the hard part. Now, I know some managers today with the expansion of the number of teams might not agree that it's always easy to get good players, but I think his point is still valid, that just having talented people isn't enough. They have to be able to play together. Team chemistry is important, and it's important that whether it's a business or a church, that people are pulling for one another, that people support one another and get along. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We also see how important it is to have good people at each position or using their gifts to the fullest. You can look again to sports teams and you can think about, uh, for example, this year how uh, the Vikings football team started out so well, 5-0, and and yet every week it seemed like key players were going down because of injuries. And that builds up. You lose a number of key people and you begin to see how important those positions are and you start to struggle. Well, the same thing is true for the church. The Bible tells us that the church is a body. Christ is the head and we are members of the body of Christ. We each have individual strengths and weaknesses. We need others to do what we cannot do as well ourselves. We have different roles and responsibilities in the church, and all of them are important. And sometimes we don't realize just how important a person is or a position is until it is missing. For example, say you were coming to church this winter, and it had snowed, and there was a foot of snow out in the parking lot, and nobody had bothered to clear that lot. Would you notice it? Well, of course. I mean, you think, now, who messed up this week? Or what happened here that nobody had taken care of the sidewalk or the parking lot? What if no one 
clean the bathrooms? What if there was no one here to teach your children's Sunday school class? What if no one was here to lead in worship or to handle the sound or the slides that we have up on the screen? What if no one was here to give a message? I mean, I think all of us, when we think about that, realize how important each of those areas are and contribute toward what happens on a Sunday morning. The point is that all of those people have gifts that are necessary for the effectiveness of a church. And when one is missing, it affects all of us. Well, in this passage that we're going to look at this morning, Paul begins to give his final instructions to the church. And these are written, these instructions are given to help them and to help us function as a healthy church. And today we're just going to look at three of them in the first part of this passage. We'll continue next week to finish up with some of the other instructions. And all of these flow out of what Paul wrote in verse 11 when he said, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. What we're going to look at this morning shows us how we can do that. Number one, a healthy church is one where there is a proper respect for leadership. A healthy church is one where there is a proper respect for leadership. In verse 12, he said, Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Who is he talking about? Who are the leaders in the church here? Well, based on those things that they were doing, we would say that these were the pastors and the elders or the overseers of the church. They were those who were looking out for these new believers. They were the ones who were teaching them, admonishing, correcting as needed. And Paul writes, and he says, we ask you, brothers, to do this. It's interesting to me that this isn't a command in the way that it is written. It is a request. And why is that? Well, I think it is because you cannot command genuine respect for someone. That respect needs to be earned. I mean, leaders need to model the kind of lifestyle that is encouraging to others, or they need to show responsibility in their position so that people will trust them. You know, that's going to be one of the challenges of our new president-elect, Donald Trump. So many statements were made in this campaign that were so divisive, I mean both ways, back and forth, that the country really became very polarized by what was being said. And there's half of the population right now that really doesn't trust him or respect him. You know, and that's going to be very hard to change. It's going to be hard to lead without some measure of respect. And I think what we're seeing here is that when you unleash that in a campaign, it's very hard to put it back in the bottle. When you unleash division and you call attention to those kind of things, it's tough to bring people back together. And it's going to take time and it's going to take actions that are more moderate or temperate in their response. In the scriptures, we see a very different picture of how leadership is to function in the church. Leadership in the church is never autocratic or heavy-handed. It's not do what I say or else. You know, it's not all about 
the leader, it's about the church, and it's about Jesus Christ. Leadership in the church is always servant leadership. That's what Jesus talked about in Mark 10 with his disciples. When you look at Mark 10, 42 to 44, Jesus said this. He called them together and he said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give us life as a ransom for many. Now that's a very different model of leadership than what we would see in the world. And Jesus was making that clear to these men who were going to lead the church. Leadership in the church is not a title or position where others serve you. It is a position of responsibility that involves service to others. Again, that's different than the world's system. In fact, it was the teaching of Scripture that changed the Western world's view of government. It changed it from being this kind of autocratic, heavy-handed leadership to instead people in government seeing themselves as public servants. Public servants. And again, that's a different picture because of the influence of the church. Leadership in the church is leadership by example. And Jesus is our example in all of this. But Peter in 1 Peter 5 would write to those elders there who were under shepherds to the chief shepherd. He wanted them to prove to be an example to the flock. I want you to live out the qualities that you want to see in others. I want you to model what it means to be a servant, teachable, eager to serve, and not doing it out of compulsion. And one day, we who are in leadership will have to give an account to God for the way that we led the church. And that's the responsibility that we have that goes with that position of being a pastor or an elder in a local church. And so Paul appeals to the believers at Thessalonica. He appeals to them as brothers and sisters to do these two things. To respect those who work hard among you and to hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. When that is done well, respect them and honor them in love. Now, I want to take this opportunity to say thank you to you as a church. You know that sometimes for pastors to speak on passages like this can be kind of awkward. You don't want it to be self-serving at all. But it is in the text, and so we've got to talk about it. But I want to thank you for doing what this scripture says, that you have shown your kindness to me Pastor Jason, Pastor Ken, and Pastor Justin. And we really are grateful for the way that you have expressed your encouragement and support through the years. You know what gives me the greatest joy, though? It is your partnership in the gospel. It's your willingness to work. 
and to serve and to join together in this common mission that we have to lift up Jesus Christ and to make him known. I was thinking about that on Wednesday night when I was walking through uh, our church and on Wednesday night, you know, I was just enjoying what was going on here. And I'm thinking about, you know, I come in here and Jolene's teaching the kids that are in TNT and I'm listening to her share and then I, I walk down the hall and I see all the teachers, leaders working with the cubbies and all these little kids that are just having a great time and you know you can go downstairs, you can see the kids that are there playing the games and activities. I go into the youth center and there's you know Terry and leading and teaching, working with the middle school students and I think of all the home groups that are going on for the kids in 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th grade that are meeting and in those homes it might be 20 to 30 kids or more that are there each Wednesday night and then Pastor Jason who teaches our adult class or others who are leading in those adult classes and I'm, I'm just kind of walking around mingling talking to different people and I'm thinking you know this is amazing what God has done you know, it's such a joy, such a change to see how all of these different ministries are happening and I don't need to do it. You're doing it all. And you are blessing those who come each week and we have numbers of students and kids who are coming from the community that may not be going to church at all or any place else, but they are coming here and they are hearing about Jesus every single week. Praise God. Thank you for what you are doing to make our church a great church. When I think about the second thing that Paul writes, it really flows out of this. He says that a healthy church is one where there is a spirit of unity. He calls us to live in peace with each other. And what we see in the scripture is that unity matters to God. Jesus prayed for unity in John 17. His last high priestly prayer that he prayed before he went to the cross, he prayed for unity. And he said to his father, he said, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. And may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You hear his heart? He's praying not just for the disciples, but he's praying for all who are going to believe in the centuries that will follow because of their message, because of the gospel. And he's praying that we today would also be one, that he would be in us and we would be in him, working together for the glory of the Father. A healthy and united church is a powerful witness to the world. Where else in our world do we see this place where people can come together from different occupations, different age groups, different demographics, if you will? Uh, you can have people that are joining together and they worship and they work together in love. Why? All because of Jesus. Paul said we should make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He would say to the Philippians, he would say, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. And again, what is it that unites us? It is our faith in Jesus. 
We are united by our love for God and for his church. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, joined together in one family, and we're going to spend all of eternity together. And what we do here and now in this life is a powerful witness to that truth. Unity doesn't mean that we won't have differences, that there won't be times when there are conflicts that we need to deal with, but we work through them with love and respect. We go to our brother. We talk to them. We express when we have hurt someone else, we admit that. Or if we have sinned, we ask for forgiveness. And in the same way, when someone comes to us and they ask for our forgiveness, we give that freely, just as Christ has forgiven us. There are no perfect churches because we aren't perfect people. I think of Howard Hendricks, who taught for many years at Dallas Theological Seminary. And when people would come and they would tell him that they were looking for the perfect church, you know, the kind of shopping around, looking at all these churches, just looking for the one that's just perfect, you know, he'd say, well, if you find it, don't join it because you'll ruin it. (laughs) I mean, he was making this point that there are, again, no perfect churches out there because we are imperfect people and we are all in the process of growing closer to Jesus Christ. But when I think of how a church can function when there is unity, when there is harmony, I think of the example of an orchestra. I mean, if you think about an orchestra, what happens when that concert is going to begin? All the members of the orchestra out there, they each have their different instruments that they have uh, practiced and prepared for for many years to be able to play. And what happens is, you know, the first chair violinist comes out and he or she gives the note that everyone is to tune to. They all tune their instruments to the same note. And if something sounds out of tune, they're going to do it again until everybody is together in harmony. And then when that is ready, then the conductor comes out and the conductor takes his place and he's the one who directs that orchestra and leads it in terms of its tempo, its rhythm, its dynamics, getting them all to play together. And when that is done well, it's powerful. You know, an orchestra isn't a place for somebody to say, you know, like, hey, why do I have to play off of this score? I want to play off my own score. You know, there's not that kind of situation where somebody goes rogue, if you will, and says, well, you know, this is really restricting my freedom to have to play this way. I want to play like I want to play. They wouldn't last very long in an orchestra, would they? And it wouldn't be very good music to hear. But when each one plays to the best of their ability and uses their gifts fully and follows the direction of their leadership and works together, Again, it is beautiful. And great music is heard. And the same thing happens when a church works together in unity, in love, in harmony, working together with the leadership to accomplish the things that God has asked of us. That's powerful. And thank you for being that kind of church. And thirdly, A healthy church is one where the members care for one another. 
And in verses 14 and 15, Paul gives a series of instructions that are addressed to the church as a whole. It's not just for the leaders to do these things, but he writes to them and he says, we urge you brothers to do these things, to warn those who are idle, to encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. And when you go through that list, it's interesting to see what he is asking. When he says, warn those who are idle, the idle were those who were unruly or undisciplined, if you will. And he says that you as brothers and sisters in Christ are also to warn them. That word warn is the same word as admonish. It means correct. And so it's like, you know, it's, it's if you see a brother or sister who is really out of step, you know, and they, they've been disobedient or they have hurt someone and they haven't owned up to it or things, or there is a place where you know them, you are a friend, or you've worked with them in a small group. There's a time when it would be best for you to be the one who would speak to them in love, to admonish, to correct, to teach. What was going on here is that it seems that some of the Thessalonians were so sure that the Lord was coming back that they had quit working. They were idle. And Paul was urging them to get back to work, to stay busy until that day when the Lord comes. And sometimes we need a loving rebuke from a brother or sister or maybe from our husband or wife that corrects us and calls us to do what God has asked. He says, I want you to encourage the timid. The timid are those who are faint-hearted. And if you think about their situation where they were dealing with opposition and persecution, you can understand why some might feel faint of heart and be tempted to turn away from Christ. And he's saying, those of you that are more mature, those of you that are stronger in your faith, I want you to encourage these other believers to stand firm in a time of persecution. I want you to help the weak. The weak, he doesn't specify, could be those that are physically weak, could be those that are spiritually weak. But he is saying, I want you to come alongside of them. Be compassionate. Encourage whatever their needs are. We as a church body are to come and help those who are struggling with issues in their life. And be patient with everyone because it takes time to grow. Change doesn't happen overnight. And sometimes people take two steps forward and then they take one step back. Love them. Encourage them. Be there to support them. That encouragement can make a huge difference in someone's life. Rod Cooper was sharing this example in his own life in a message that was called The Kiss of Encouragement. And he said, when I was in first grade, I almost flunked out because I was a terrible reader. And we had three reading groups in my school. And when I say this, you can tell that he was older because they don't do this anymore. But he said, the highest group in my school happened to be the owls. They were in the trees above everybody else. The next group happened to be the giraffes. They were head and shoulders above the rest of us. And I was in the third group, the Humpty Dumpties. <laughs> he said, we were on the wall. We were off the wall. We were in the wall. <laughs> we were outside the wall. We just couldn't get it together. And we struggled. And my mom saw me coming home discouraged and down every day. 
So she started to read to me every night. And I came home one day with a C on one of my papers, and I gave it to her, and she smiled, and she started to cry. She said, Rodney, I'm so proud of you. She made my favorite dinner that night. She let me stay up late. And I'm thinking, gee, if this is what a C will do, well, what would a, a B do or maybe even an A? Well, what do you think that did for me? It spurred me on to want to do my best for her. That's what encouragement does. It makes you want to move on and continue when you feel like quitting. Well, he said, I didn't make it to the owls. I did get to the giraffes, and I got out of first grade. But here I am today. And today my mom introduces me, and she'll put her arm around me, and she will say, this is my son, Dr. Cooper. And then she'll look at me, and she'll wink just to remind me where I came from. You know, I think of the power of encouragement in an example like that. That when you come alongside of those who may be struggling and you believe in them and you see God at work in them and you tell them about the change that you have seen in their life or how you have seen God use them to minister or encourage in that way, or it may even be in your workplace where a school setting like this, where with someone who's kind of struggling and doesn't feel quite as confident in themselves, you come alongside to encourage and build them up. And it can be huge. Paul goes on to say that we are to make sure that no one pays back wrong for wrong. And you can think of how in the world's view or value system that is often done. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. You do this to me, I'm not going to forgive you, I'm going to get back at you. And they hold a grudge or they want to get back. And Paul is saying that in the church, there's no place for that. And you can imagine him even saying that toward those who persecute you, toward those who are opposing you, don't fall into that trap of this kind of vengeful response. Pray. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. That's what Jesus said. And in so doing, you will bring conviction to them. Instead, always be kind to one another and to everyone else. Be that kind of person who's making a difference in our world. I thought it was interesting that I came across this story. I've done a lot of reading about presidents. I've read a biography of every president who has served in our country except two. I have two more to go. But I want to tell this story about William McKinley from a different era. William McKinley was the president of the United States from 1897 to 1901. And when he was running for office that year, there was a man who opposed him and who would write against him with every opportunity that he had in this newspaper. He constantly followed and misrepresented McKinley's views. Eventually, during the campaign, as the season went on, the weather was getting colder, and this guy was still, you know, writing and following him along. And on one particular bitter evening, here was this reporter. He was not dressed sufficiently warm, and McKinley was in his closed carriage where they had some heat in there, and this guy's sitting with the driver outside on the front of the carriage. 
and he was shivering on the driver's seat. And McKinley noticed that, and he stopped the carriage. He invited the reporter to put on his very own coat and ride with him inside that warm carriage. The young man was astonished. He protested, you know, McKinley, you know that I, I'm in opposition to what you're doing here, you know, and I'm, I'm not going to stop saying that. And McKinley just said, I know that. But McKinley wasn't out to seek revenge. And in the remaining days of the campaign, the reporter continued to oppose McKinley, but never again did he write anything unfair or biased about the future president. His act of kindness made a difference. And wouldn't it be wonderful if we could go back to that kind of setting where people could disagree about things and talk about that and yet do that with respect and integrity and not saying things that are untrue, unfair, biased in that way, but really working together. I want to thank you once again for the work that you do in our church to care for one another. We have so many people who serve in the different roles, leading our ABFs or small groups, or are active in our prayer ministry. All of you have given generously to our benevolence fund so we can help people when they are in need. Many of you have stepped up to be Stephen ministers, to come alongside of those that are hurting and to be there as a support and encouragement through a rough time in their life. And in countless ways beyond that, just as a friend, as a brother and sister in Christ, you have come alongside of people when they are grieving, to encourage, to send a note or card or encouragement. That is what a healthy church does because we are a family in Christ. Well, these are just a few of the marks of a healthy church. There are more that we'll look at next Sunday as well. But here's what I'd like you to do in response to what Paul is asking us here. I would like you to personalize these three commitments. I'm going to read them for you, and I want you to think about, can you state these things for yourself? Number one, that I will respect and honor those that God has placed in authority over me. That's a good way to live. That's not just in the church. It's not just with pastors. But if you are a student, to show respect and honor to your teachers, to your parents. When you are in the workplace, to be able to do that toward your employer or toward those who are in leadership above us in government. Secondly, I will strive for unity in the church and in my relationship with other believers. That means that when there's a conflict, I will deal with it. I will go to my brother or sister. I will do that openly and honestly. I'll make sure to get the log out of my own eye first and own up to my own responsibility. Where I have been wrong, I will confess my sin and I will ask for forgiveness. And I will believe the best about my brothers and sisters in Christ and work together for unity and harmony. And thirdly, I will use my time and gifts to build up, to encourage, and to care for, care for, my, for, my, for my, my brothers and sisters in Christ. I will serve in the church. I will pray for my brothers and sisters. And I will do my part to honor Christ in each of these areas.
Can you say that? Would you agree with those things? That's my prayer. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you today, uh, there are times when you come to a passage like this that is just so practical. And I praise you for the way that you have been working our church to build these things into, the, into all of our lives. We need you. We want to be a church that makes a difference for Christ in this community. And we can only do that as we work together in unity and harmony. So bless your people. Help us to continue to grow in our relationship with you and help us in this time and age to be peacemakers in our world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.